Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by community's lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, as we continue our series, Starting Over. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays here at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right, good morning, family. Um, I'll tell you what, do me a favor. Just I want you to start this way. I want you to find two other people and just say, good morning, brother, or good morning, sister, okay? Just go ahead and do that right now. Good morning, brother, or good morning, sister. And I think uh, a part of the reason, um, I'll tell you, before I jump into my message and the big idea, I want you to address each other that way, because I want to talk to you a little bit just for a second, I'm just, to, just for a moment, and kind of reflect on uh, this past week and the election, and then I'm going to give us a chance to pray together. Um, I don't have to tell you, uh, the election has quite, caused quite a stir in the hearts and minds of probably almost all of us. And um, even though we're brothers and sisters, and that's first and foremost, there's some of us that um, we um, see the election and we see it as a significant victory and we're hopeful, and others of us see it as a, as a huge loss and actually leaves us afraid. And for a variety of reasons that we don't fully understand, we often have a very, very, very hard time understanding, like, how in the world could that person think this way? How in the world could, could that person think this was so important? And I think there's an opportunity for us as a church and as brothers and sisters of the body of Christ um, to really offer a Christ-like response. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he was writing to the, to the church in Corinth. It was, it was a turbulent time in the first century. And there's a section in 2 Corinthians that's called the message of reconciliation. And, and he kind of gives them this challenge. He says this, hey, so from now on, we don't look at anyone the way the world does. And he essentially says, hey, if you're Christ followers, as brothers and sisters, what I want you to do is don't look at each other with assumptions. Don't look at each other, first of all, with suspicions and fears, but instead with love. And decide to trust and listen to one another. And then he goes on and he, and he kind of explains, because this is mission critical, because you guys have been trusted with this message of, basically he says here, helping people find their way back to God. And so in that short passage there, Paul says, listen, you have this task of being a reconciling community, of showing other people how to listen and love one another, even when you have differing views on things. And in so doing... I think what that's going to do, not only will it reconcile people to each other, but it will reconcile people to God. So I just want, I want to challenge you in, in two ways, all right? First of all, with this, be praying for our country and our leaders. Be praying for our country and our leaders. And second of all, would you do this? And this is where I'm going to ask us to take the lead. Would you intentionally seek out people who have a different view from you? Not with your intention of convincing them to change their mind, but just to listen to them and to listen to their story. Because I'm telling you, when you do that, relationships, I mean, change how you feel about one another. Not necessarily your views, but they change how you feel about one another. And simply seek to listen and understand. And uh, I think God has given us the opportunity to be a reconciling community. And uh, I'll tell you what, I just want to have a prayer, and I'll ask that you just join me in that prayer um, right now. Let's pray. Father God, you know you gave us your son and you gave us this message of love and reconciliation that has both a horizontal and a vertical dimension to it. And you asked us to carry that message to the world. Help us to share that message 
with your world by leading with love and grace and a posture of listening. And as we do that, use us to help others find their way back to you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll tell you what, one more time, find somebody near you and say, uh, hello, brother, you matter to me. Or hello, sister, you matter to me. Just tell them with a little oomph. You matter to me, okay? That's it. High five, hug. That's okay. It's all good. There you go. I'll tell you what, it, 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 um, when I came in, I was, I, was, I was going over all the media stuff beforehand to make sure we had our stuff together. And somebody in the sound booth just said, you know what, man, after, after this week, it just feels good to be here. And it does with me too. It just feels good to be here with you all. All right. I'll tell you, let's jump into, um, shift gears a little bit. Let's, let's jump into our, the fourth week in our topic here. Um, how many of you, I want to go back to 07. I'm going to rewind a little, go back to 07. How many remember when they were trying to decide who's going to get the 16 Olympics and it was, and Chicago was down to the wire and then they picked Rio. You remember that? Yeah. Like, oh, that sucks. All right. Ah. I mean, I was like, I was really mad. I was like, no, I want Chicago to have it. I love the Olympics. Okay. Forget it. I'm not going to watch the Rio Olympics then. That was kind of my attitude. But of course, how many of you ended up watching the Olympics this summer? Well, it was awesome, right? Yeah, love the, love the Olympics. I love, and of course, in true athletic irony, you know, I logged hours and hours and hours sitting on the couch while other people pushed their physical limits, right? And there was no athlete, no athlete who was more remarkable, more remarkable than this guy right here, Michael Phelps, right? Easy, ladies, all right? Easy. Uh, amazing. I mean, five Olympics, 23 23 gold medals. I mean, and remember, he was, he was so determined that the, in this last Olympics. Remember, he, it kind of went viral. Remember the Phelps face? Remember this? Remember the guy was from South Africa who was kind of like trying to mess with him, and he was just like, he was just like looking right through him. Um, he was determined he was going to end up on top, and of course he did. But to me, maybe even more remarkable than what he did in the pool was how different his story could have been. Um, I don't know if you heard this part of the story. It's got out there some. It was after the London Games in 2012. Phelps' life, okay, post-2012 London Games, his life starts spinning way out of control. He'd had so much success, okay, but now all of a sudden, he, 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 he's struggling emotionally, he's struggling uh, spiritually, struggling relationally, and he turns to alcohol, he turns to drugs to kind of numb his pain. Fast forward a little further, September of 2004, he's estranged now from some of his most important and valued relationships, he feels just apathy towards, towards swimming. He gets arrested for the second time, his second DUI. He's, he's on the verge of losing everything. And then after leaving that arrest, he isolates himself further, drinks more, and he later admits, these were his very thoughts. He says this, I had no self-esteem. I had no self-worth. I thought the world would be just better off without me. I figured that was the best thing. I figured that the best thing to do was just to end my life. Well, thankfully, Phelps' family and friends, they convinced, convinced him to check himself into a rehab facility. And it was there he discovered that he could start over. When he checked in the rehab facility, he took a book with him. It was a book that was given to him by a friend of his who was actually a professional football player. And that book was starting over. No, it wasn't. <laughs> It'd be a great story. Wouldn't that be awesome? And it was starting over. No, it wasn't starting over. <laughs> I couldn't resist. That book was The Purpose Driven Life. All right? How many of you read The Purpose Driven Life? Have you seen it around? Best-selling book of all time, other than, the, other than like the Bible. All right? 
It was the purpose-driven life. It was given to him by a friend of his, and he read it, and, and basically it's, just, it's, just, it's the good news of how God can make a difference in your life and has a purpose for your life. And, 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 he, and, he, and he reads through this whole thing, and he comes away, and he, and he says this. He says, it turned me into believing there was a power greater than myself, and there was a purpose for me on this planet. And after hitting rock bottom, Phelps said it changed everything for him. He had all these regrets of action and inaction, but all of a sudden his regrets, okay, instead of being a finish line, they became the starting point for starting over a brand new life. And he said this, he said, he said I certainly wouldn't be where I am today in every aspect of my life without God. Since that time, if you know the rest of his story, he actually reconnected with his estranged father. He married his longtime girlfriend, they celebrate the birth of his son. He, he finds a renewed sense of purpose and a renewed passion for maximizing his God-given gifts. And I'm telling you, what we saw in Rio this last summer was someone who experienced what it means to start over. And here's why I'm telling you this story, and I want to start with this story. God wants to take your story. He wants to take your story of regret and turn it into a story of redemption. I don't know how big your regrets are, how small the regrets are, whatever the regrets are. I'm telling you, God wants to take, this is the good news this morning, your story of regret and turn it into a story of redemption. Okay, let's get a handle. What is this thing called redemption? Redemption is this, it's allowing God to take everything from our past, our very worst regrets, our greatest pain, and then use it for his great good and his great gain. Doesn't that sound good? That's what he wants to do. There's a guy named Paul, Paul who actually persecuted, Paul actually killed, okay, killed Christians, but experienced, and went through that regret of that, and would begin to experience redemption, he writes these words from his own experience, he says this, he says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Okay, look at that there. How many things? Again, how many things? All things, right? All things. Good things, bad things. Those things that you wish, man, I wish that never would have happened. Disappointing things. Things that even now, as you try not to think about, but if you do think about it, make you cringe. All things. God wants to take your worst mistakes and use them for his great good. And I want every one of us in this room, I want everyone to grab a hold of that truth. Because here's the truth, okay? Your worst moments, your worst moments are where God can do his very best work. There's that kind of delta. And what he wants to do is he wants to move you from regret to this thing called redemption. All right, like Phelps. If we go back into the Old Testament, there's another national hero. We've been talking about him during this series. He's a guy who had a story of a rise and a fall and then a rise again. It's a story of regret to redemption. He came from obscurity. He was a uh, lowly shepherd. Had this unbelievable military kind of victory over a giant named Goliath finds himself then ushered into where he eventually becomes the king of Israel. In addition to that, he gets to write a book called the Book of Psalms in the Old Testament, which is this kind of passionate, honest look at his life with God. But along the way, like all of us, there's regrets. He has this affair with Bathsheba, wife of one of his soldiers out fighting his battle, a shocking lapse of character. Bathsheba gets pregnant. David decides, we'll we'll sweep this under the rug. We'll we'll, we'll get rid of this thing. He has Uriah, her husband, killed to cover it up. They get married. She has the child. The child dies. 
I mean, it's just painful, ugly stuff. But his story doesn't end there. His story doesn't end there, and neither does yours. And here's the thing, we all have regrets. Maybe not as extreme as some of David's there, but I'm telling you, we all got them. And if, and if you remember, just to kind of recap, we talked about the regrets showing up in three different buckets. You remember this? Three different buckets, three different kinds of regrets. First of all, there's regrets of action. That's that when then you slap yourself on the forehead and you go, ah, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that came out of my mouth. When we act ways, that, oh, we just regret. Then there's also regrets of what we call inaction. And the regrets of inaction are those things that... Uh, our opportunities missed. These are the ones, the older we get, the more we're going like, man, I should have time wasted. Words, important words that were unspoken. And then we also said, you know what, there's also regrets of reaction. Sometimes our greatest regrets are those things that were done to us, that hurt us. And we have to respond, we have to react when we feel regret. And then the whole thing was, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, it leaves us in this sorry cycle. We have these longings and we do things we regret and we try to satisfy these longings, we do things we regret again and we just go around and around and we can't, we just get stuck in regret. Two weeks ago we said, okay, here's how we get it. There's, there's three moves. We said the first move is this, you have to recognize your regrets. Remember that two weeks ago if you're here? If not, I'd encourage you to go back. We got on our website, you can watch the message, listen to the podcast. Don't ignore it. Don't hide it. You remember where we had the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the beach ball? Don't try to shove it down. It's going to pop back up. You have to acknowledge it before yourself, before God, and, and really probably before others. Recognize your regret. And then we said the second thing you do is then you have to release your regrets. And this is all about forgiveness. Sometimes you have to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes you need to um, forgive others. And sometimes you also just need to forgive yourself and just let it go. Let it go. And if we go back to the story of David, he gets to that point, those first two moves of recognizing and then releasing his regrets when he says these words in Psalm 51. He says, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, blot out my mistakes, blot out my sins. I got big regrets. And see, because he's recognizing and releasing, now he's ready for that third, the third move we're gonna talk about today, and that's redeeming your regrets, redemption. David recognized released, and, they, and now God, okay, he's now, when you recognize release, that puts you in a position where God can redeem your regrets. Here, here, here's, here's what happened with, with, with David. I think it's really interesting, and every redemption story is kind of unique, but God redeemed his re- regrets by giving him a son. When the son was born to him and Bathsheba, David named him Solomon. As he looked in his eyes, he named him Solomon, which means... God's peace. Remember Nathan. Nathan was the one who confronted David with his own sin. Nathan then shows up and says, and, and I also want you to give him a name, the son, a name, kind of a nickname of sorts. I want you to call him uh, Jedediah, which means God's peace. And so whenever David looked into the face of that child, it's like he saw God's love and God's peace. And he knew that God was at work redeeming the worst situation. Think about this. Think about where that child had come from. That child was born into a marriage that was a result of David having an affair, of murdering her husband, 
And in the middle of that worst of worst kind of regret, right? God is going to redeem something and he gives him this child and says, no, you give it to me and I'll show you my love and my peace. And that's what causes David. David then says these words to Bathsheba. He says, hey, honey, listen. That's why he says, as surely as the Lord lives, he's talking to Bathsheba, who has delivered me out of every trouble. Okay, he's already starting to experience this. I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, this son right here, this God of this, this peace and love, this symbol, he'll be the king after me and he will sit on the throne in my place. And what happened after that, not only did he begin to give, God, give him peace and give him love through that child, but he also said, and through this son, here's what I'm gonna do. That son's gonna build the temple in Jerusalem. That son is going to become the king. They're going to have unparalleled economic success. They're going to have peace with their enemies. That son, okay, through your lineage, David, into the next generation, and then beyond that is eventually going to be born Jesus the Christ. Think about that. God redeems David's regrets through this baby who's born into that kind of a family, that situation, right? And eventually, Jesus himself is born. I think it's so important that we hear this story because here's what God wants to do. God wants to take your story, okay, your story of regret, and turn it into a story of redemption. Now, that's back in the Old Testament. Oh, wow, that's a great story. That's not just back then. God still does that same kind of stuff today. Are you with me on that? He still does that kind of stuff today. Now, during this series, we've been hearing a number of stories. In the last couple of weeks, we got to hear Greg's story of him recognizing and releasing And now I want to hear about how God redeems his regrets. Here you go. So I remember wrecking my car, and the next thing I know, I come to, and I have no idea where I am. None. I'm looking around, and I know I'm in some sort of hospital. I asked the guy um, where I was, one of the patients, and he told me I was in the state mental ward. And I just remember thinking, oh, God, i got to get out of here. And as I'm laying in this hospital bed, um, and the nurses are asking me to, to... you know, move upstairs into the, the, you know, the nut ward again. My only motivation at that point is I, I didn't want to hurt people anymore. I didn't want to hurt my family. I didn't want to hurt my fiance. I didn't want to hurt strangers. I just didn't want to hurt people with my life anymore. So I made a decision to go upstairs to accommodate their desires um, into, the, into the mental ward. But I'd made up my mind that the minute I get out that I'm going to to take my own life. That's my worldview at that point. I'm in a mental ward, um, and I know I'm going to take my life, and I know there is no way out. So as I'm sitting in this this mental institution, and there was a woman who um, obviously had more issues going on than just substance abuse, but she was coloring, and she broke her crayon. And in breaking that crayon, she started shrieking and thought the world was ending and her life was over. And I was trying to explain to her that you know, it's just a crayon and that the world's not ending and her life's not over. In that moment, it was as if God had just whispered to me that it might not be over for me either. And that was the first glimmer of hope that I had felt in years. I mean, years. The mental ward offered to transfer me down to a, um, a rehab facility in Florida. Even though I'd been to a million treatment centers and I didn't think they could help me, that little voice of God that said, uh, maybe it's not quite over for you either, gave me just enough willingness to say, okay. I'm alone in Florida. Um, Every belonging I have, it did actually fit in a garbage bag. I'm kind of a mess at that point. So even though I have hope, my life, I shouldn't have hope. So if you look at the state of my life when I'm in Florida, 
I'm homeless, I'm jobless, I have a broken shoulder, and this charity at the treatment center is going to run out soon, and, and then what? I, you know, I have nowhere to go and nothing to do, and so I shouldn't have hope, but God just has a way of doing some pretty amazing things. And I remember sitting, uh, I was down there and I was at this bus stop, realizing that I can't fix all the things that I've done and I can't fix my own life. I also realized that maybe that's not what living is about. The point I'd missed the whole time throughout these years of even trying to follow Christ is that it's really not about me. Maybe it's all about God. And so maybe what I can do instead of regret all that I've done, use that experience to be able to relate with others and maybe help show them the way out the same way that someone brought me out. So I came up and I was able to reconcile things with my family and I went to uh, try and make things right with uh, my ex. Obviously that went well because today we're married. We have two children, a four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. The biggest thing that starting over means to me is the willingness to to not just let go of the past because it's not people always say that you got to let go and move on but it, you can't forget what's happened so I don't think that's the answer when I think about starting over what it's meant for me is to be willing to let go instead of the past let go of what the future is supposed to look like this whole idea that I need to that I need to know the outcome of how to fix things and say okay I am a drug addict I did lose everything like I was this ugly person. I had these hard things happen. I did these terrible things. God, how can we use those to to some sort of good? And um, I, lo- I love um, how God's using Greg's story. Um, Greg's over here, and I, I'm real proud of how you're trying to be a really great dad and a really great husband. And I also, I'm so excited about how you're gonna, how God wants to use your story to help so many other people that are recovering or trying to recover to find hope and healing. And um, so keep it up. Um, I don't know what your regrets are, but don't you want to experience that kind of redemption too? Huh? Don't you want to experience that too? I do, all right? Big or small. Let me, let me tell you, here, here's three truths. Three truths about how God wants to redeem, okay? Let's take these home. Here we go, three truths. Truth number one is this. Redemption is something God, hear this, wants to do. He's something that he wants to do. And, and none of us can do this on our own. None of us can do this on our own. And, and if you don't believe me, I mean, I'll tell you what, just... Give it, give it a shot. Walk out the doors out there. You go back out there. You take all the bad stuff in your life and you try to make something good out of it on your own. All right? And if it works, awesome. <laughs> um, my experience, though, has shown me that without God, redemption seldom happens. With God, it always happens. And God can redeem every regret. And here's the good news. He, hear this. He wants to. He wants to. <clears throat> But that doesn't mean we don't have a part to play in the redemption. We do have a part to play. Our part is we have to trust. We have to trust God to redeem our regrets. The original, in the original New Testament uh, language there for, for redeem, the, the word actually means rescue. Did you know that? It actually, redeem actually means to rescue. And so think of, think of it kind of like this way. Imagine I'm, I'm out in the ocean, 
and I'm in the middle of this terrible storm, and I, and I go under, and I come back up, try to survive. I go under, and I come back up, try to survive. I'm going under a third time, and it's clear, right? I can't save myself, because if I could save myself, I would have done it by now. What I need is I'm going down again. I need someone to what? Help me out. To rescue me, right? Or redeem, same word. What happens here is God shows up and he, and he reaches into the storms of our life and he wants, he wants to pull us out of the water. The best thing I can do at that moment is simply just trust him. Every lifeguard will tell you that. Just don't fight it. Don't resist it. Let him do the rescuing. And we have a part to play. But truth number one is this, is redemption is something God, I'm telling you, we've got to get this. He wants to do it. He wants to do it in your life. Here's the second truth. Okay, redemption takes a lot of different forms, all right? You may recognize and release, and you may never, ever win a gold medal, okay? Just because you kind of do it, oh, I want to I look like Michael Phelps. Is that what redemption looks like? No, not necessarily, all right? It takes a lot of different kind of forms. Here's the different forms. Let me give you some examples. Redemption may end up looking like this. It may end up looking like you finding your way back to God. What often happens as we take painful detours, and those painful detours, they aren't what we want, and all of a sudden, spiritual questions, questions of ultimate meaning pop up, and maybe we went you know, to church, maybe we kind of had some religious orientation, we were in junior high or high school, then we quit going, but all of a sudden, we give God a second chance, and what we discover is we find a God with wide, arp- wide open arms, ready to welcome us. A lot of times, redemption is this, it's just you find your way back to God. Sometimes, redemption is this, the second thing, it's just spiritual growth. You see the bottom fall out of your own self-made plans, right? The bottom just falls out. And what happens? You find yourself, and one way or another, you just drop to your knees, and you're praying, okay, to a God that may or may not be out there. That posture opens you up in that moment to unprecedented kind of spiritual growth. And you'll look back on that season of your life, which you thought was the worst, and you'll go like, you know what? That drew me closer to God than anything else that ever happened in my life. Sometimes redemption looks like this, like even rescheduling. I'm thinking, maybe, maybe your first business startup failed. But what it did is it prepared you for a different successful entrepreneurial attempt later on. And in situations like these, I mean, of rescheduling, what God does, he delays giving you a gift so he can give it to you at the right time. Because he knows the right time, maybe better than you do. Sometimes redemption looks like this. It looks like Redirection. I'm thinking of a, a young woman I know who is just, I mean, distraught to the, almost the point of suicide after her fiancé broke off the engagement. And you can imagine, right? In time, she married, met and married another guy who, I mean, candidly, is so much better <laughs> for her than the other guy. And she now knows it. So much better than the other I could have been. It's, a, it's just like, no, God's going, hey, you're going this way. No, let's go this way. This is going to be a lot better. It's called redemption. can be re- redirection. And sometimes redemption is this too. Redemption shows up. It's your opportunity to bless other people. I mean, some of my favorite people are people that are working the 12 steps because recovering addicts, they become people who want to help other people. It's part of the program. And they help other people in their healing journey. And I, I know, and I can tell you about... T- Teenage rebels who were so much trouble, okay, growing up. And they're the ones that become coaches and teachers that help and become the, help the next generation. 
I say this because redemption takes lots of different forms. In fact, I would go so far as to say this, that people who've suffered much, those are probably the people who have much to offer. And the question we have to ask is, will you let God do his work his way and redeem your story? Here's truth number three, last truth. I think with redemption, we have to take what I would call the long view. We gotta take the long view. And um, we have to try, try to see things from God's perspective. And I say try because it's really hard to do because there's really two different kinds of perspective. There's kind of like right now, right? When do you often want things? You want things right now, right? I want it right now. But there's also a second perspective and it's what I would call e turn Eternity. And God always sees things from the perspective of eternity. And not just right now. And my own experience has been that God is almost never, almost never in as big a hurry <laughs> as I am. If you go back to the story of David, that Old Testament we've been looking at, he had to take the long view. His son Solomon... That son didn't, didn't show up immediately and make everything great in David's life. In fact, there was lots of hurt. There was lots of pain. You go back and read the Psalms and all the lament and the stuff that he was struggling with with God. And you may not realize this, but Solomon, Solomon was actually the fourth child, the fourth child that came to him and Bathsheba. And that's, when God, and that's when David began to see God's redemptive work. And what we have to do is we have to try to see kind of the long view, the long view. And I think what happens for many of us is we start to panic. We start to panic if God doesn't redeem things right away. I'm thinking about one instance in, in, uh, in Sue and I's life. We were, this is we were, early on when we were married. We got way behind on some credit card bills. This, I know none of you guys have ever done this before, but we did it. And we made some stupid choices and spent some things that we shouldn't have. And all of a sudden, you know, I, and I regretted that, especially the end of every month, right? And I wanted God, right, to get us out of it right now. Come on, God. Get us out of this thing. But God's plan was, no, you know what? This is going to take some months. This is going to take a couple of years for you to get out of it. And I think in the process, God taught me an important lesson about debt that I was then able to teach my kids. And he was like, no, you got to take the long view here. Now, maybe you regret something more painful. Maybe something entirely different. It might be about relationships. It might be about failed business ventures might be about some horrible accident. But sometimes just know this, sometimes it takes months and takes years, but it's always worth the wait. And if you go back and read the stories in the Bible, I'm telling you, like Moses, okay, think about Moses. We, we forget this, we gloss over this. Moses is a guy who's a murderer. But God redeemed his rage and his hate, and he became the greatest leader that we know in all of scripture. Ruth, Ruth is someone who's like an idol worshiper, totally rejected God. But she, comes, but she becomes one of the ancestors in the lineage of Jesus. Think about a guy like Peter. <clears throat> Peter's a guy, boastful, impulsive, inconsistent, cussed like a sailor. <laughs> and Jesus comes along and says, okay, you know what? We're going to take those regrets and I'm going to redeem. You're going to be the rock I'm going to build the church on. Paul, we talked about Paul, persecuted Christians, narrow-minded, legalistic. He becomes the greatest missionary the church has ever known. We, we go on, 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 on. This is what God specializes in. And the question is this, will you let God do his redemptive work, his redemptive way in, your, in his time, in your life? 
God's given every one of us um, a choice, I think, on this. This is what's so amazing. Well, what to do with our regrets. We can either see them as like this finish line, okay, I'm done and I'm stuck. Or it become a starting line to something brand new. And it's your choice. Um, when you came in, we gave you a card. I want you to go ahead and grab this card, would you? Would you go ahead and grab that for me and grab a pen near you? We're going to give you actually this next song just to kind of reflect and pray and um, just kind of some time for you to do some business with God. And I know it's just a piece of paper, but I think sometimes we need simple tools like this to kind of make it clear that we're making a choice. And so if this card, if this is something that's useful to you, I'm telling you, use it as we move into this kind of time of reflection and prayer. And we've intentionally put a couple of things on here. This first box, I told them, I said, hey, put that, make, put that one on the top. Because I got a hunch there's a whole bunch of people that need to make this choice. It says this. It says, I'm ready to be baptized. If you've never been baptized, or maybe never baptized as an adult, we're going to have a baptism service next week. And my hunch is there's probably dozens, maybe hundreds of folks in this room that ought to take that step. Because here's the thing, maybe you don't know this or understand it, but baptism is meant by God to be a symbol that I'm starting over. Right? I'm starting over. And if you're declaring, going like, yeah, I want to start all over. That's what baptism is. You go down, one person says you come up brand new. And if that's your choice, go ahead and just check that box. Put the information on there. We'll follow up with you and we can make plans to do that next week or whenever it's convenient for you. The second box on there just says, I'm ready to start over. You can check that, and maybe you put some, a few thoughts there, or even just the back of the card, and you, you hang on to that. Keep it, okay? Because it's, it's a reminder, hey, this was the day I started over. Or, may, or maybe there's some way that we can help you. If we can, fill it out, we'll follow up. You can put it in the yellow buckets later. Or the last one says, you know what? Nah, I'm not ready. And so I'm saying, you know, let's put that on there, because maybe some of us, we're just not ready yet. We're still processing it. You just keep coming. Maybe you need to try a a few other things on your own still. But when you're ready, I'm telling you, God wants to. God wants to. He wants to. All right? So we're going to have just a song here. They're going to play this song. It's a time for you to pray and kind of reflect and think. And uh, then I'll come back up in a moment. Okay? Let's pray. Father God, Thank you for being the kind of God that wants us to start over. A second time, a third time, a fourth time. You're a God of never-ending chances and opportunities, of unending love and grace. Lord, I ask that right now, through the power of your Spirit, that you let nothing, nothing inside our heads or our hearts make us think that we've gone too far, we've been too bad, or we've done it too many times. We can always start over. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.